Hello, and welcome to Parallel, a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. This is episode three, and it's August 28th, 2018. I'm Shelley Brisbane, and I have a very special episode of Parallel to bring to you today. It is an encore presentation. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. It's really good. And if you haven't been listening to Parallel before I joined Relay FM, it's not an encore to you. It's brand new. And if you have been around since before the Relay days, I want to apologize and let you know that there will be a brand new episode next week. So why am I running an encore episode of Parallel? Do I have a quota to meet of some sort? No, absolutely not. It's just that when I joined Relay, the audience for this show really increased and a lot of new folks became aware of Parallel. And I wanted to make sure that all those folks got a chance to hear this interview I did with somebody pretty important in the Apple community and a pretty cool guy. And that is Sal Segoyan, who is the father of Apple Automation and who is still a pretty big deal in the automation community. If you have any interest in automation on the Mac or iOS platform, you need to be paying attention to what Sal is doing at the Omni Group and elsewhere. And we talk for about an hour about all those topics and about some events that Sal is part of this summer and fall. And I think it's a really good episode and I hope you enjoy it. So I'm just going to roll this episode as it ran over the summer. For those of you who've heard it before, there is no new material. But if you haven't heard it, sit back and enjoy the enthusiasm and the infectious excitement that uh, emanates from Sal Seguin. We're breaking format a little bit today because normally I have two great guests and we talk about one topic for an hour or so. Today, I have one really great guest. And my guess is that we're going to be talking about several topics, at least if we stick to the outline. My guest is Sal Segoyan. Sal is known as the guy who championed automation at Apple for almost 20 years. He revived the languishing AppleScript language in the 90s and created Automator, a tool that allowed Mac users to automate computing tasks without knowing any code and became the inspiration for Workflow for iOS and now Siri Shortcuts. He left Apple in 2016, not his idea, when his position on the Mac team was eliminated. These days, Sal continues to operate the Mac OS Automation website, and he's working on the creation of an automation platform for Omni Group, developers of productivity software, including OmniFocus, OmniOutliner, OmniGraffle, and others. Sal also created the Command-D Masters of Automation conference. I had the great pleasure of speaking at that event last year. This year's event is an intensive three-day automation training course with Sal and Ray Robertson as your instructors. Finally, Sal was recently profiled in Wired magazine. If you'd like to get all the biographical information as well as a few interesting Steve Jobs stories straight, I'll have links to all of these and more in the show notes, and we'll learn a lot more about the Masters of Automation conference as we go along, too. But for now, let's actually talk to Sal instead of talking about him. Hey, Sal, how are you? I'm doing great, Shelley, and thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm just really excited about the future of automation and accessibility. There's just so much happening. I'm excited too. And before we get to what's going on now, I, I feel like for the benefit of both people who know you and don't know you, I, I want to take you back in time a little bit and, and have you sort of regale us with a little bit of what it was like to be there at the, the dawn of Mac automation, if you, if you don't mind. Tell me about the state of automation when you arrived at Apple in 1997. You hadn't, you had been doing automation before, and Apple had to to a limited extent, but it was definitely in its infancy. Is that fair to say? Uh, yes, it was in a, a very challenging period. Uh, they had developed Apple Script uh, for System Seven, and uh, after releasing it, immediately ignored it, 
And uh, through the efforts of Chris Espinoza and Ralph Rogers and uh, Shafas Syed and Guy Kawasaki and some other people, uh, I was brought on board as the AppleScript product manager. And like any technology or product, you really need a representative inside the company to advance it and to figure out the synergy points so that it works well with other parts of the operating system. And at that time, there was none for AppleScript. So it was just kind of this thing off to the side and it really needed somebody to be the advocate inside the company. And they brought me on board in 1997 in January which also happened to coincide with the time that Apple was targeted as beleaguered and there was a big crisis in management and Gil Emilio was there and there was a lot going on at that time. And that's when I showed up at Apple uh, during the turbulence. And it turned out to be a, a very positive thing because through the turbulence, I was able to make personal connections with other team members in, in different parts of the organization and to advance the cause of automation. And I uh, developed a rapport with Steve Jobs, who became an advocate for automation and really understood uh, not necessarily the nitty gritty of it, but he understood the importance of it and how it related to customers and to the future of the platform. So coming on board in challenging times and then you know, becoming integrated in the company and having the, the rare opportunity and privilege to work inside for such a long period of time, over 19 years, advancing uh, automation at the company. So I've seen a lot of changes and it's been really positive and it's amazing what's happening with automation today. And I think that there's going to be a new wave of automation coming up that we're seeing now. There are a couple stories of you interacting with Steve Jobs and, and essentially in the first instance uh, responding to a challenge of his when he wanted to get rid of a lot of what he perceived to be underperforming technologies at Apple. And you said, hey, wait, automation, that's something that we can do and that we're doing a great job of. And, and you got his support. What, what do you think about what it was about what you presented to him that was the most exciting to him? Uh well, the first time I met Steve, we got in an argument in front of about 80 people. Uh, he was at that time, you know, he was taking the company back and uh, examining what was going on. What were the components of the company? Who, what were the departments? What were people working on trying to get a sense of what was necessary and and what could go and what and how the company could become more nimble and uh, in that process, our initial conversation was kind of adversarial, but that's really what he was looking for. He was looking for people that were passionate and knowledgeable about what they were doing. And over uh, the following year after our initial meeting, he became more aware and asked me a lot of questions about automation. And we had interactions um, numerous times and he put some automation demos in on his stage presentations like uh, folder actions at Siebold. Uh, you know, it was just one of the things. Uh, Apple events over IP was part of uh, one of his presentations. So he he became an ally and he gave us the resources we needed to bring AppleScript 
into the operating system and to make it appear language for developing uh, Mac OS applications within Xcode. And all of that was definitely through Steve. So I credit him and his inherent abilities to grasp concepts and to understand their importance. He knew the customer base very well and having been in the media space, he also understood the importance of automation there too, coming from studio background and knowing that automation is what drives video production and television production and movie production and film scoring. All of those are enhanced through automation and Steve knew that and uh, took that experience and brought it over into the Mac. So while he was there, we got the resources that we needed and the team was always able to make each release better than the last and keep moving it forward with a vision and a plan. So I think publishing was another application that obviously was important to Apple, but it was one that you had worked on before you were at Apple and I guess subsequently. Uh, what role did publishing automation play? Well, publishing uh, was a big client of automation because it, it, they they uh, were recipients of the power and the ability uh, to get speed, accuracy, consistent output, and scalability. And that was the challenge in the publishing industry: is you know accuracy makes a big difference, and if you can produce content in an accurate way on time and be able to scale that process, and that's huge. And they adopted through the scriptability in Quark Express, they adopted automation processes so that companies like the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times were automating entire productions of, of their publications using AppleScript and Macs. And for a long time, the reason that Mac stayed in large organizations was because of their in-house desktop publishing. And it was because of, of the abilities of AppleScript and automation being able to address a fundamental need of enterprise, which is automation, that Macs were able to stay in companies during a period while Apple was reinventing itself. So initially, you're right, publishing was the first big go-to uh, customer. Media production and publishing were the first big go-to customers. But then automation became ingrained in everything and it, it really became a user experience as well and it continues to do so. And now with uh, the work of the Omni Group and uh, Workflow on iOS and some other scriptable apps like the Drafts app, you're starting to see the same kind of frontier happen now on iOS that initially happened back then that you're talking about. And that's really exciting. It's, it's like a new wave is forming. And I think that the lessons that people have learned on the Mac about automation and its relevance and its importance and its application is going to continue now on iOS with the Mac too as well. It's going to be very... Uh, automation-friendly future for us, I believe. 
I hope so. I feel like automation sometimes doesn't get the respect it deserves, or a lot of people aren't aware just how much can be done with it. And you, you may be right that in the enterprises where it's critical, certainly it, it has people has recognition from people. But do you feel like, uh, well, not the average user, but do you feel like enough people know about automation? Is it something that we still need to evangelize? That's a really interesting question, and. To answer that, you have to look at the audience for automation. When it comes to the enterprise market, automation is a fundamental need for the enterprise. It's right below security. Security is their top concern. Right below that is how do they automate their processes? Because like I said, you know that's the only way to get speed, accurate output, consistency, and scalability. So. When it comes to the enterprise, they understand you don't have to sell the enterprise about automation. And the same with smaller uh, companies where they're trying to do more with less people, they get it too. Where there's a big potential for increase in understanding and awareness is in the consumer space. And I think that's what's really intriguing about the new series shortcuts is you're bringing concepts that have been developed from the Mac world about creating workflows, and then you're assigning names and triggers to them that are uh, activated by the user's own voice. And I think that that's going to help spread the concept of automation to that segment of the market, to the average user, to the consumer, and they might never know that what they've done is actually create a workflow. They just might look, think of it as when I say this, it automatically does this for me. But that's the beauty about automation. It can be at a very high level and it can be at a very low level. It's depending upon what your needs are and what you have to address and what you need to automate. And that's kind of always been true. I played with AppleScript and speakable items way back in the 90s and had a lot of fun ordering my Mac to, to do things. And of course, we talk about accessibility on this podcast. And so there's a lot of potential and a lot of existing opportunities for automation to let people control their Macs or their iOS devices in different ways than the, the standard mechanism. Is that something that was ever part of what uh, you were thinking about when you were building automation? Did you ever think about accessibility? And if so, in, in what ways? Uh, I thought about it quite a bit and I worked on it constantly. Uh, ever since I first got to Apple, the first group that I made uh, establish a relationship with was the the speech team and I always made sure that that automation connected to that that there was a way to have automation be able to speak and to understand and to read and then I, over the years we integrated it with the ability to understand and then trigger automations and I developed a set of libraries specifically around automating tasks on the computer and specifically around accessibility. And I put those on dictationcommands.com, which was a project for about 400 commands. And one of the concepts I was working on was having lots libraries that are represented by uh, verbal commands or dictation commands. And my thought was, if I'm sitting in front of a presentation uh, in Keynote, for example, 
And if I close my eyes, I should be able to get all the information I need from that application by asking the application itself. Instead of using a screen reader or voiceover to have to go from, okay, I'm in a button, I'm in a list, I'm in a pop-up, I'm going over here, you know, instead of doing that, why can I ask that application, tell me about the current slide? Well, the current slide is set for 1024 by 768. It's using a gradient background. It has text and three images on it. What are the images? Image one, bink, blah. Image two, blah. Image three, read the slide to me. And then it would sound a tone and read the title, sound a tone, read the body, sound a tone and read the embedded metadata of the image, maybe a... Uh, a caption or something that plunked the image. And I developed a set of libraries for uh, Keynote based upon this concept of accessibility of the application should be able to tell me. I shouldn't have to scrape the screen to find out what's going on. I should just be able to ask it and then have it do something, present this for me and have it automatically go through each slide and e each advance with audio cues of what's happening when it's advancing and reading it back in a voice that I've set up on the computer. So I worked on that for quite a while and I put, a, I put those up at dictationcommands.com and you can download the set and install them and play with them and use them. And I think that that's the real potential direction for accessibility is instead of reading the screen having the application or the computer or the OS intelligently tell you what is going on. And I would think that that would, now that we have machine learning that actually is able to go out and gather information and interpret it, that you could combine those two functions and use automation to go and, and grab what you want, but that the machine learning might actually gather more information than the computer necessarily has on its own. Exactly. And it could see what you're doing or what you, every time you're asking for something, you know, read this slide to me, uh, you know, you could have it so that it goes, hmm, every time Sal creates a new slide, then he wants me to read it back. I can just do that for him automatically. So I'll say, make a new slide, boom, uh, change the master to title center, boom, uh, edit slide ready. And then I dictate what I want to do. And then I say, uh, add selected Im add the image that I've selected on the desktop, bink, have it do that. And I could, then it say, do you want me to read this to you? And it would ask. So machine learning could definitely play a part in that concept. And for me, if I had another lifetime, I would just love to work on making <laughs> it so that the computer the power that's already there could be exposed in a way so that I could get everything I need out of the computer without having to look at it or without having to hear it, but some way of having the computer provide you the information instead of you using a tool to kind of sort through sand and read stuff by screen scraping. I think there's a new, new potential there for accessibility. And I think that maybe you could 
talk about this, but I think that once people start using the idea of Siri shortcuts and they start talking to it, then they're going to want to say, well, I, if I can say these things to get the device to do that, why can't I just ask the device about what's there? Why do I have to go through a process manually to find out information on the screen? Why can't I just ask it? I feel like Siri shortcuts is may have a similar trajectory to Automator in the accessibility community because Automator on the Mac was always accessible. It happened to coincide with when VoiceOver became available on the Mac. And it's it's always been, obviously, the ability to connect to AppleScript. AppleScript was always completely accessible because it's just text. And Automator as a, a tool was accessible as a Mac interface. And so people who were inclined to write programs whether or create automations, whether they be related to accessibility or not, who happened to be blind or who happened to have some other accessibility need, they were out there doing it. But Siri Shortcuts seems like a whole other thing where people who would never have jumped into Automator, uh, just as people who never jumped into Automator who aren't users of accessibility, are, are probably going to interact with Siri shortcuts in a whole different way. So I, I think you're right about that. Exactly. And it, it should get to a point where I wouldn't have to, it, it, it should, the line between accessibility and usage should just not even have to be there. I could, when it gets to a point of, I could have a photo open and say, show me this in maps. And the computer automatically opens up the map app and highlights where that is. And then I can say, put this map in my presentation. And then it just exports that as an image, creates a new slide, puts it in there for you automatically. That goes beyond accessibility. It works for the people that need that, and it works for the normal user. It's just the computer at this point has a level of intelligence in it, and through automation has the underlying mm, architecture and hands to get those tasks done. It's just a matter of connecting them so in a sensible, logical way that people can get to just through their normal interaction with the computer. Right, and an accessibility need may be so specific that the best person to create something that solves it is the user as opposed to waiting for some software developer mm -hmm. to build something that doesn't, because a lot of a lot of issues that people who use accessibility tools have is they want a piece of software to do something, but because they're such a small percentage of the market, it's hard for them to go and say, you know, it would be great as if you're, word processing app or your maps app or your presentation app did this. But with automation, you get to make those things yes. yourself. Because an app developer could add the automation to their app and it doesn't change their user interface, right? It could be just you add the scriptability and you provide people with a script or a series shortcut or workflow or an automator workflow, whatever. You give them the tool to use that scriptability but you don't have to change the UI of the application. And it's a way to address a smaller segment of your customer base without having to, you know, change dramatically what it is that you're doing. So it makes a lot of sense that automation is going to be used more and more. And I just think, I think your instinct's right, Shelley. I think that the more the series shortcut is going to bring this conversation out to a larger populace. 
And once the concepts about automation get out there, they're so fundamental to the human nature that I think it's just going to make percolate through the rest of the operating systems and the devices. And it's just going to become a normal thing to talk about automation. I mean, from the dawn of man, we've always looked for ways to shortcut a process, right? Whether it was, you know, scraping hides to make skins for clothing to protect us against elements, we're always looking for tools that make it easier for us to do something. It's just human nature to use automation. So it doesn't make sense on a computer to kind of segment that off someplace it makes more sense to make it so integrated that it just becomes another interface to the computer that works with all the other interfaces of the computer. So I want to work us toward series shortcuts, but I, I'm really curious about what iOS meant to you from an automation point of view when it began at Apple or when you first started conceiving of how to automate it. I mean, it fundamentally, it was a mobile platform that had many differences from the Mac OS platform, not only in terms of function, but in terms of just what, what you could do with it, what kind of functions there were. So I wonder like how automation initially struck you on iOS and what your, what your plans and what your ambitions were for it in the beginning. Hmm. That's a challenging thing to talk about. Um, naturally being on the Mac automation team, we saw the benefits of automation because we lived it and we our customers used it. And we're really excited about the iOS devices because we're customers like everybody else and having these wonderful iPads and phones and, that we love to use, we'd like to see the same automation get to them. But iOS was developed uh, differently than the way that the Mac was Mac OS was developed. They were developed as a separate team. It wasn't a single team doing both bits of software. It was separate teams and teams are very much like people. They have to learn in their own way. They have a way of, of learning and absorbing and a list of things to add. And they had a different set of concerns than we had on the Mac. They were more concerned about power consumption, uh, more concerned about things being able to cut off quickly, uh, also more concerned about security because it also was your phone and you kept very uh, personal information on the device. So they had a higher level of security concern when they were working through their development. So although we presented the concepts uh, to the teams, uh, you know, they didn't, they weren't receptive to those things, probably because they were busy trying to just get it out the door many times. So getting automation on iOS has been a long trip. Uh, they eventually started with uh, extensions, being able to have an application share a bit of data with another application and the application working on that data and then handing it back to the application through like a blind secure process that was limited. It, it's Extensions are good for things that involve the user sitting there and doing it, but it wasn't a process that could be automated or strung together. And it wasn't until uh, Apple uh, uh, workflow came out on iOS where you're actually able to string things together. And 
On the macOS, the intelligent architecture that communicates is Apple events. It is like messaging between applications. So Apple script is, is a client of Apple events. So is JavaScript, so is all the other scripting languages. And so when you write a script that is tell application finder to close every window, that gets translated into a set of instructions that are sent to the finder application, which then does what you asked it to do, which is close every window. On iOS, you don't have that Apple event architecture and an Apple event manager to direct this conversation. So what happened is developers who wanted the need or who were addressing the need to have apps communicate started using URLs because that was the unrestricted thing that Apple had. Apps could send URLs to each other. So they created URLs and each guy would have his URL with his set of parameters. And then they developed a thing called an X callback so that the app would know to when it's done to send you back another URL with the result of what it had done. And they were trying to create this communication architecture. So I uh, workflow initially on iOS, it took advantage of this URL architecture to do a lot of what they do. And a lot of the automation that you're seeing now on iOS is URL based when it comes to applications communicating with each other. And that has positives uh, in that it can be integrated with HTML and it's generally very well understood. It's generally very secure, but it also has negatives in that it's kind of cumbersome and limited. So my hope would be that eventually something like Apple events would be uh, uh, makes its way to iOS so that applications can have this really robust conversation and users will be able to do things far beyond the kind of things that they're doing now, which are exciting. So it was, uh, it was a long process to get to where we are on iOS, but I think now that Apple understands automation better and you know, nothing's more exciting than when I pick up my iPad and I run some Omni automation on it and I watch it dance. And I'm just so <laughs> thrilled by that. And then I take that same script and I go over and I put it on my Mac and it does the same thing. And I'm like, yeah, that's where this thing needs to go. And that's what I'm why I'm working with the Omni group is because they have this vision about that happening. And I think more people are starting to see the results of that or picking up on it. I, I'm very hopeful for iOS and I'm excited about it. And I think that if Apple gets behind automation, that they're going to see increased sales in the enterprise and education markets for their iOS devices, just because people will be excited about the abilities that are unveiled through automation on iOS. Did you feel like Apple acquiring workflow was inevitable or was necessary or was exciting or what was your take on that? And do you still feel the same way? Well, uh, I think it was definitely exciting uh, that with sometimes when big companies acquire small companies, nothing happens. And then sometimes, you know, bad things happen. But in this case, the people, you know, Ari and the team, 
are just outstanding individuals with lots of vision and talent. And uh, fortunately, Apple, I think, understands the jewel that they picked up and they're starting to uh, see the value of what it can deliver through series shortcuts. And I think that the response from the public that they're going to get off of the release of iOS 12 and this whole thing, is just going to further reinforce the need and the validity and the, and the worthwhile uh, investment in automation for both iOS and Mac OS. I think that it's, it's going to be a good experience for Apple. It's going to be a good experience for Apple customers as well. And I'm always pleased when the story ends in a happy ending. I like happy endings. Sure. <laughs> Me too. So I want to talk to you about Siri Shortcuts. But before I do, um, I have some exciting news for folks out there listening to the show. If you would like to go to the down home. All right. I'm going to read it again because it's over here on my screen. It's the Down Home Scripting Boot Camp with Sal Segoyan and Ray Robertson as your instructors this October 15th through 17th outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, I've been told to point out that free food is included. So not free food. You're paying for it, but it's part of the conference. You don't have to worry about that part, as well as you'll get some excellent education and automation. And anyway, uh, if you're out there listening to the podcast and you've made it this far, uh, your reward is that you can get $100 off your admission to the conference if you use the code PARALLEL. Go to commanddconf.com. That's C-M-D-D c-o-n-f dot com and use that code the parallel and uh, that won't be in the show notes so you need to remember that because that's your Yay. ticket to getting a hundred dollars off and uh tell tell folks a little bit about what they can expect to learn at the down home scripting boot camp you know it's been the absolute pleasure in my life and privilege to be able to to uh, teach about automation and nothing is more rewarding than being able to spend time with people and guide them and watch the light bulbs go off. And it's always best when it's a multi-day process because the initial thing is, is, whoa, I didn't know that was there. And it takes a while to get past the initial shock of everything that's available and to go through a methodic process in a gentle learning and instructive way over a period of days, you come out with a really th better knowledge internally about what automation's about and what you can do. And the best part is, is that you'll be able to, at that point, re-instruct yourself when you come up against something that you, you can't remember. Okay, how do I do that? Oh, now I know where to go to learn that. Or now I know I can go to the dictionary in this application. Ah, there it is, and then I can solve the problem. So having three days of intensive hands-on training with Ray and myself, I think it's just going to be so rewarding for people and for us as well, because we get a thrill out of watching people succeed. And automation is a great tool that everybody should take advantage of. You're right about that time element being important. The uh, Command D conference 
last year was a, a day of uh, a day of intensive stuff scripting uh, that I didn't have have the opportunity to participate in, but I was there for the second day, and I I did sort of feel this is all really wonderful, and I'm learning a lot, but I feel like I need to get my hands dirtier and dig in a little deeper. So I feel like people and and Ray and Sal both were presenters at the last event, and I can tell you they're both. Uh, enthusiastic and inspiring and entertaining as well as informative. So uh, I, I can hardly recommend it. And uh, especially if you need a, an excuse to go to the uh, go to Atlanta in October, uh, learn a little scripting from Sal and Ray and use that code parallel to get $100 off your admission. And we're going to Cartersville, Georgia to take advantage of some Southern hospitality. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, sounds great. I can't wait to hear all the uh, exciting uh, projects that people come up with having learned how to automate. And got That was the other experience I had at the last conference. I just wanted to automate everything after I left. <laughs> and I, I did do a few things, not, not to the uh, profound degree that, say, Ray has done with some, uh, some of the Adobe apps and, and the like and, and some of the photography automations that we saw there. But I, I did uh, manage to find ways to include more automation in my life, and that's always a good thing. Yes, it so, is. So let me ask you about Siri shortcuts. I take it that you were pretty excited when you heard about it. Tell me your first reaction. Tell me what opportunity you've had to, to play around with it and, and where you are with Siri shortcuts right now. Oh, I'm t I'm, it just is such a logical progression, right? Uh, the concept of automation and then the, the really uh, powerful thing about Automator was that you took chunks of functionality and you put them together to create a recipe. So each action, automator action, would represent a, a certain task and then the action would pass the results of that action to the next action that was in the workflow. And you put the actions together and you created a workflow which is an automation recipe. Like, you know, cut the carrots, cut the celery, cut the onions, mix them together, heat, and then serve. And that concept was really well established with Automator. And that became the foundational concept for workflow, which followed pretty much the same idea of you have actions that you put together and you choose the parameters within the action interface and uh, it passes the result of that action to the next action in the in the workflow and you work on that and so that made the jump over into ios and then it just seemed like the natural step to that would be to connect that with recognition with vocal recognition through siri to add in some level of intelligence and that's what Siri Shortcuts is about. You're, one of the things, it has multiple levels. One of the things that it has is that you can create your own workflow and then assign uh, a Siri uh, string or, or phrase to that. It also does another thing of developers of applications can send messages out when you're using a particular element of their application. They can donate what's called donate the fact that there's a shortcut to that process available. And then the user can go back on their own and say, you know, when I just want to be able to jump to this part of the application and then give that a shortcut that they decide. And so it acts as like a bookmark. And that's one of the interesting features about Siri shortcuts is that you can use it to create bookmarks. 
And then through machine learning, uh, based on NS user activity frameworks, the device itself can say, hmm, I see Shelly does this, this, and this. And she does it like every Tuesday here. I'm going to suggest to her that, would you like a shortcut for that? Because each one of those apps that she's using is published these shortcuts. I'm going to offer to automate that for her. So Siri shortcuts is also representing that set of functionality. So it's like three different levels of functionality wrapped up in the word Siri shortcuts. Initially, I'm very excited about the fact that I can create my own uh, workflow and then assign it uh, a Siri shortcut. But I'm also really intrigued by how developers are going to change their applications to adopt the ability to donate uh, Siri uh, shortcuts to the uh, the computer so that the user can piece those together. So I'm very excited about where this is going. These are concepts that, that we talked about with Automator for sure. Automator actually has the ability to sense which actions you're using and to rank them higher on the list as you uh, make your workflows. So it had some kind of intelligence in it about that as well. And with Automator, you could assign it to a dictation command so that it could be triggered by voice. So some of these concepts have been around. It's just nice to see them getting added to and developing on the iOS platform where, you know, the common man uses it on their phone or on the iPad so that it can become shortcut process for the enterprise where instead of me doing these 10 steps, I can just say, okay, uh, give me a composite of that. And then it does multiple steps for me. And I think Siri shortcuts has great potential. I've already been using it quite a bit, uh, especially with the Omni automation. It works really, really well with Omni automation and some of the other scriptable apps on iOS. And I, you know, I have a, a bunch of videos for that, but I, I don't post those because, you know, the developer license says you're not supposed to do that. But when that gets released, you're going to see a big flood of of Siri shortcuts hit hit the uh, the <laughs> world because there's just so much you can do with that. Well, let's talk about Omni Automation because I'd love to hear some examples of the kinds of things you've been doing. And it sounds like for that to make sense, we should probably have you talk a little bit about what you're doing with Omni Automation. If you're not familiar with the Omni Group, they make fantastic productivity software. They're located in Seattle. Uh, Ken Case is their CEO, wonderful man. And they make really productive apps like OmniFocus for managing your time, OmniGraffle for doing drawing, charting, organizational, complex documents, or even simple documents. They have Omni Outliner, which is the app you should go to when you're first getting ideas about something and you want to outline a presentation or, or concepts that you'll my yep. personal favorite. And they also have OmniPlan for if you're a project manager or product manager or you're building a house or whatever it is you're doing, OmniPlan is great for planning out things and over a long period of time. And I know that Apple uses OmniPlan too for working on a lot of their projects as well because the quality of Omni software is always very high. It's 
customer focused, it's user focused, and they support scripting in a traditional sense, like on Mac OS with Apple events. Well, they've also developed a cross-platform concept for scripting where they have opened their application's object model. In other words, all the things the application can do, all of its objects and its commands, they've exposed that to core JavaScript that is part of WebKit. And by doing that, you can write JavaScript scripts that control the applications in a similar manner as the way AppleScript does on the Mac. But this also, Omni Automation in JavaScript also works on the Mac because WebKit and Core JavaScript are on the Mac as well. So you can write a script that works on iOS and it also works on Mac OS as well. And I've been, I have a website, omni-automation.com that covers in detail, in very uh, specific detail, all the scriptability about the apps that they have in place right now and examples of how you can use it and what it can do to automate for you. I was working on one last night that I posted yesterday and uh, it, it's a lot of fun. I, I was looking at a toothpick puzzle you know those puzzles where they say, hey, move two toothpicks and create three boxes instead of four or something, right? And sure. I looked at it, I said, boy, you know, that'd be a great way to teach how to create grids in OmniGraffle. So I wrote Omni automation scripts for generating the puzzle and I embedded it into a web page link. So you can open a web page next to your document tap the button, it will set up the document on a grid, show it to you, put the toothpicks in place, and then you can try to solve it. And if you get stumped, you can click the button of solve, and it will show you the correct answer in OmniGraffle right there for you automatically. And that's using the Omni Automation uh, JavaScript presented through URLs in a web page interface, which is just quite fascinating. And then I thought, well, this ties in very well with the concept of, have you ever been on a web page and you've seen tables of data and you'd like to visualize that data? Well, using Omni Automation, you're able to like take a, a map, generate a map of the United States and then populate it with colors based upon the data in a table. Or you're able to take information from uh, Omni Outliner and have it go into OmniGraffle and create objects and then go back and forth. Or you can interface with FileMaker Pro databases and have it generate objects in OmniGraffle and then have the information from there go back into the FileMaker Pro database. The potential is huge with Omni Automation because what they've done is expose the real functionality of the applications, not just a small subset through a URL, but the actual full functionality of their applications, which is tremendous. And again, when I watch this, when I open up my iPad and I run these Omni scripts on the iPad, to watch the iPad dance is just thrilling. 
Your your enthusiasm absolutely well, shows. I mean, it's it's just infectious. It, in it's fact. interesting. <laughs> I kind of laugh sometimes because you know, having been in the company, I knew many of the people that worked on the design of applications and interface. I knew a lot of the HI people and why a certain panel slides out a certain way, and then to watch the script hit it. I could tell the times when they weren't really thinking about that it would be automated. And you'll see some kind of panel go whip, 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 back and forth a couple of times. And you go, okay, that's going to need to be adjusted for automation because you don't need to see that happen. But it's just thrilling because the iPad, to get the potential out of that device, it really needs automation. And I think once you can start automating iPads, you're going to see them being used everywhere. It's not that they're going to replace a Mac because Macs are just a really unique, powerful environment. But we're, we both, we all use Macs and we use iOS devices. I'd like to see this kind of ability on everything that Apple makes, even Apple TV. I'd like to be able to create an automation that somehow ends up with the Apple TV showing me something in particular. You know, why not? All of that should be available and it should all be triggered by just me telling the computer something or asking a question. So here is an accessibility uh, reverse for an automation idea for you. So, so we've talked about turning a table into a visualization. Well, if I'm an accessibility user and maybe I can't interpret that visual image, especially if I'm colorblind or have some other barrier that way, what if you could say, let's turn this visualization into a table of data or some sort of other text-based explanation of what's in that picture? Exactly. Exactly. And then you could go the other way. There's, there's no reason that it you couldn't have it go from one format to another. The beauty of automation is in, an, in a couple T's, the ability to transport the data and to transform the data. So going from one format into another format should be no problem. For example, uh, I have a, a common script I, I like to show a lot. It's where I take a table in numbers and I create a bar chart from that table data in a new slide in Keynote. So you can see the script is like a very short script that, that extracts the data, transports it, and then transforms it into the bar chart. Well, there's no reason that the script couldn't then go to the chart and look at the chart, grab the information back out of that, and then go and create a table. And if I'm a if I'm watching your presentation and I have the ability to say, go get me the data that's in that bar chart, because as we talked about a while ago, you're looking at the screen, you're getting the information from the screen. Well, the automation could go and deliver it just to me because I'm the one that needs it. You, you're, the rest of your audience might not need it, but I might not be able to interpret your bar chart. Exactly. In, uh, in my accessibility example at dictationcommands.com, I have a video of there. Uh, where I'm dealing with uh, a keynote presentation, and it ha it tells me that there is a, a chart there. And I say, well, tell me about the chart. And then it proceeds to say, this is chart uh, shows data about solar usage in California. It has four components, blah, 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 and blah. The values of them are this, this, and this. I mean, 
it has that information there. The computer knows that because it's drawing it. The information is there. What the automation can do is translate your instruction for request to, for the information to be able to take the information and put it into a user-friendly phrase. And that's easy. You're just to go, okay, give me the vertical data, give me the, this data, and then I'm going to use this phrasing for it and then spit it back. And you should be able to say as the user, say, tell me about that chart. Read me the values of that chart. And it should be able to read that back. That it should just be built into the application. Now, not everybody would need that in particular, but it should be there because it doesn't cost them anything to be automating that. Once you've exposed all the objects to automation, it doesn't have a, a developmental cost to be able to tie into those in creative ways to give you more accessibility. I've always thought uh, when I'm presenting something and I present an image, I should be able to turn to the, the screen and say, tell me about this image and have it at least read the caption that's part of that's embedded in the image metadata right it should sure. i should yeah. be able to any time say you know uh, i should be able to say go to the slide about california boof take me right to it and then say okay tell me about this image well this is an image of death valley it was taken in blah blah the but tell me more about death valley okay and still show me that it goes and gets information about death valley and reads me back a paragraph or so right all of that's available on the computer all of that can be automated it's those hooks and tools already exist it's just a matter of making them available in a comprehensive and convenient format for everybody to take advantage of whether it's accessibility needs or not Everybody should be able to just look at it and say, tell me about this. So what's automation about for the Omni Group? I mean, it's, you're, you're embedding into existing products and you're creating a framework where people think of Omni when they think of automation. They think of ways they can transport and translate data in, in various ways. But is there something uh, greater that Omni is, is working toward or do they want to build a platform that other people can access in different ways than in the existing products? I mean, whatever you can say about well, that. I, I'm not really in a position to talk about you know, what Omni's goals are uh, beyond making great software. That I know. Uh, you know, you can ask Ken and interview Ken about uh, their directions and what, what they want to achieve. But I personally believe that they are definitely showing developers and the software world how it's done and what the potential is for when you robustly automate your applications. And I think that the things that are now possible, if you go to the Omni Automation website and you see some of the things that are now possible through automation on iOS, it's going to be something that any developer of great software is going to want to take advantage of and follow. I think they're definitely leading the way by example, which is the kind of people that they are. They definitely lead by example. And there's a lot of information there. And it I don't know whether you built mm -hmm. that site or whether you just have a role in it. But when I look at that site, 
it makes me it reminds me of all the sites that you've built. You've always given out given away so much information and so many tools. And is is that a philosophy that they share that you brought to them? Uh, that's a philosophy I think my family gave to me is, you know, you <laughs> if you want to benefit from your knowledge, then share it with others. The if everybody uses this, it ra- you know, it raises all boats. If uh, that's the way I always felt about automation, I didn't want to hide it away. Uh, I wanted to share it with everybody because the more people that use it meant more people wanted it. And I would always be able to find work and, you know, ability because it would increase demand. It's just and it's the right thing to do (laughs) if you if you have something that can benefit people, share it with them. And on the Omni Automation site. All the script examples, you can click them and copy them to the clipboard on iOS and macOS. And many of them, you can run the script right there from the web page and it will open the Omni document or application you're using. Some of them will actually save it as a plugin that you can install into the application and have available from its own automation menu. All of the Omni apps have their own automation console and automation script menu. So you can install your own plugins. And on the website, you can install those plugins just by tapping a button and approving it and following a procedure. Uh, I've made sure that those examples are that way because it only benefits everybody if everybody has access to it. So the more people that are using this, the better it is for the iOS community, the better it is for the Mac community, the better it is for the Apple community. And if everybody's using automation, it makes it good for us. And we're all going to benefit in some way. We're going to benefit. Are you still maintaining macosautomation.com? And all the, I should say that that's really a portal. There are a whole lot of other sub-sites, like you talked about your dictation command site. There's a photo site. You, you've really put a lot of automation and organized it in a way where people can find what they're looking for. I try to maintain them. I go through, you know, there's so many topics there about automation because it's such a huge topic. I try to maintain what I can. Uh, usually that ends up with what I'm working on at the time. So you'll see that config automation will get some attention because I work on uh, automating the process of setting up iOS devices using Automator on the Mac. That's part of my uh, role that I I work as a contractor with Apple with the enterprise team. And we work on that, developing those automated uh, setup processes for enterprise. Uh, I also work on the Omni automation site quite a bit. It's growing and with, you know, every day uh, Omni is adding more automation. And I imagine that, you know, once iOS 12 and uh, macOS Mojave come out, that you're going to see some more changes to those sites as I incorporate all the new things that are happening on both platforms into the the websites. My goal that was is- going to be my next question. I was going <laughs> to ask you what you're thinking for Siri shortcuts. <laughs> I'll, I'll, they'll definitely find their way up there because I got a lot to share and I'm really excited by those as well. And I just like sharing it. Shelly, I know you're the same way. You like it when you help somebody and the light bulb goes off and, and you get that moment of, wow, 
that person's not going to be the same again. They're, I just gave them something that's going to help them through the rest of their life. That's really a thrilling thing to do and a very rewarding, gratifying experience to have for sure. And I, I know a lot of people have not only learned from, but been able to take the material that you've created, whether it be scripts or automator workflows, and and turned it in, transmogrified it into something that they need specifically in, in their life. Um, but we've we've talked a little bit about those sites, but let me give you the chance to plug anything else that you want. There's obviously the Command D Down Home Scripting Boot Camp coming up, <laughs> which we'll talk about again in a little bit. Um, and also the uh, Command D conference from last year is gone but not forgotten because there are some videos up That's right. of the presentations of that conference, and um, we're coming every day. You had. Uh, and you you gave a number of those presentations yourself, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I have to admit, I was listening, but I was also finalizing my own presentation, so I probably need to go back and watch those videos and get more out of them. So uh, what, what can people find when they go to commanddconf.com? Well, uh, first of all, they'll find out what the our intended schedule is for classes and what topics we're going to be covering for this year's uh, Command D Down Home Scripting Boot Camp. Uh, they also have linked there to the videos from last year that you you referenced your videos there too, and that's a rumor I heard. Yeah, yes, <laughs> there's a there's a couple of videos there I highly recommend. The one is the macOS scripting triumvirate, where I spent like an hour and a half going over all the scripting technologies in macOS from many different angles, and then I did a session on more than Automator, where I gave a real thorough overview of some of the advanced features of Automator that most people don't use, like uh, workflow variables and things like that. So there's a couple of videos there that they should get up to speed on too, if they're thinking about taking uh, the hands-on experience in Georgia. In addition, this year, I'm going to be pretty busy talking about automation. I'll be in October 2nd through uh, fifth, I'll be at the Max Sysadmin conference in Gothenburg, uh, Sweden, and I I really love doing that conference because it's it's all about administrators, and it's interesting to get a perspective outside of our country. I always love talking to people from around the world in different countries and and seeing what they're working on and what their challenges are, and I always learn so much when I attend that conference and I'll have a session there this year as well. And then I do the Command D Down Home Scripting Boot Camp the 15th through the 17th of October. And that's followed by uh, my trip down to the Mac Tech community in November 7th through 9th. And I love hanging out with those guys in Los Angeles. Again, it's interesting people with really uh, industry pushing ideas and lots of great food too. And I always like hanging out with uh, Neil and everybody down there as well. So it's going to be a busy year for automation. I'm gonna, by the time Christmas rolls around, I'll be ready for a break. You, you cannot automate your presentation though. You have to come yourself and share your enthusiasm in real time, in real life. That's the reward. <laughs> let's let's give people one more chance to uh, use that $100 off coupon code if they would like to go to the Command D 
Downhub Scripting Boot Camp, October 15th through 17th in Cartersville, Georgia, which is just outside Atlanta. And your uh, food is included. Your three days of education with Sal Seguin and Ray Robertson is included. And you can get $100 off if you go to commanddconf.com and enter the code PARALLEL, P-A-R-A-L-L-E-L, when you buy your tickets and you'll get $100 off. And that's just for people who listened all the way to the end of the show. If you read the show notes, you're going to get so many links, your head will spin, but you're not going to get the coupon code. You have to have listened all the way to the end of the show. That's your reward. Sal, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. It's a delight to talk to you, and you always make me enthusiastic. I really just want to run out and automate something right now, right this minute. <laughs> I'm not sure what, but I'll figure something out. Maybe an outline with you know, the outline. I feel like I'm talking to myself when I talk to you. It's like it's the same person. It's the same person. I get it. I, I have a little less knowledge than you do mm. about all this stuff, but I have the enthusiasm. Well, this, thank you so. so much for having me on your podcast and for letting me uh, talk about automation and share that and uh, best wishes to all your listeners and give yourself a break try this stuff out just sit down with it and play with it and i know that the future is going to change for you thanks for joining me this week i'll be back next week not two weeks from now but next week with a brand new episode of parallel remember that you can subscribe and find all the past episodes at relay.fm slash parallel. You can follow the show on Twitter at Parallel Pods. That's all one word. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y. And we'll see you next time.